Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hello, friends. Welcome back to the Bill Press Pod, and welcome to this week's Roundtable, where we huddle around the table, online, of course, to look back on the news of the week with three top reporters from Washington. And it's been another newsworthy week on several fronts. For starters, Donald Trump insists the coronavirus is fading away, but it's not. 26 states now report a spike in new cases nationwide, 34,720 new cases on Tuesday, June 22nd, just three days ago. So what's the impact of that on the presidential campaign? Meanwhile, not all results are in, but there are some big upsets in Tuesday's primaries. What do they portend about November 2020? And Major League Baseball announces an abbreviated 60-day season, but will anybody show up in the stands or will the players even show up on the field? Well, here today to help us all sort it out, Nikki Schwab, senior U.S. political reporter for the Daily Mail. Hi, Nikki. Hi, Bill. Uh, Joe Williams, senior news editor for U.S. News and World Report. Hi, Joe. Hey, good morning. And Sudeep Reddy joining us again, managing editor for Politico. Hi, Sudeep. Hi, Bill. Well, welcome to you all. Welcome to the room where it happens. <laughs> uh, yes, it, it it is out now. By now, I know you all three of you read the book. You, and you know all the salacious stuff that's in it. What's the impact of this book now on 2020? Nikki, start with you. Any impact at all? I mean, I think that it just sort of continues on with the the narrative of who Trump is as a leader, uh, that he's not necessarily uh, someone who sort of thinks about the big picture when it comes to foreign policy. Uh, You know, John Bolton sort of talks about his motivations in the book, about how, you know, his number one motivation has been getting reelected. And he doesn't sort of think long term about our relationships with China and with North Korea and with all of these foreign powers. And obviously that was sort of a big chunk of the book because, uh, you know, John Bolton is a foreign policy guy. Uh, I, I don't know if we've necessarily seen like the Bolton book play out in polling, but polling for the president is not going well right now. You know, you saw the New York Times Siena poll, poll that came out yesterday, uh, mm-hmm. where he, uh, 14 points, I believe, behind uh, yep. Joe Biden overall. Uh, but you're, when you look at the demographics of that poll, they're extremely worrisome if you're a Republican because, you know, Biden is barely winning men, uh, which helped Trump win the White House, I think, by double digits last time around. He's winning white people overall. Uh, and he's winning basically almost every age bracket, except for, I believe, between like 50 and 64. And it's by like one point that Trump has the edge. So, you know, on the presidential race, you know, if you're on the R side, you're got to be feeling pretty, uh, pretty sweaty right now. 
Yeah. Well, uh, we want to get I want to get to more about the Biden Trump uh, polling and, and the standing 2020. But but Joe, back to Bolton. I mean, this kind of stuff, isn't this a stuff that that we needed to know or that Congress needed to know back in December when the Senate trial was going on? So why now? In a word, yes. And why now? Uh, there's probably about two million reasons why uh, it's coming out now <laughs> if, you're, if you're John Bolton, because uh, he famously decried uh, the impeachment process as, as hyperpartisan, and he accused Democrats of uh, impeachment malpractice, which, well, I mean, exactly what that means. Yeah, it's open to interpretation. But certainly these are, are, are things that if nothing else, need to be put on the record. And if this is the only record that we're going to get of what John Bolton knows and when he knew it, so be it. But uh, to Nikki's point, this just kind of adds to the steady drumbeat of really strange and ridiculous and troubling and perhaps borderline illegal activity that the Trump uh, administration has been uh, 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 blamed with in headline after headline after headline. So it kind of is is a shrug at this point when we've got coronavirus raging across the country and there there seems to be no real plan for for containing it when we've got uh protest raging across the country about uh wealth and inequality and police injustice in black communities and the country's attention is focused on more empirical more uh, uh existential threats than than uh impeachment or a corrupt administration so i would say that that it is important that the book is out there and he does make a lot of eye-popping revelations but in this era it's kind of like b2 matter rather than a1 matter <laughs> right so sadeep uh politico certainly gave the book a lot of attention um but do you think trump gave it too much attention maybe protested too much Yes, this is what Trump does. He uh, ends up giving the oxygen to his critics and uh, gets uh, book sales to go through the roof by giving it so much attention. <laughs> right. so he, is the he is a great marketer, and he's also a great marketer of books against him. Uh, I think what we're going to see here is this book is just going to become more fodder for ad makers, uh, whether they're at the Lincoln Project or the DNC or wherever. They now have another individual who was very close to Trump, who has done a tell-all. And there have been plenty of others who have, who have uh, shared their thoughts on Trump, but this is somebody who was very close to him, who spent a lot of time in the Oval Office, and who has uh, a, a habit of taking very detailed notes. And so all of that will come up. And we're going to see this in September and October, just an absolute <laughs> endless stream of ads that really connect the dots of what we've seen of over the last four years from Trump, and I think that is when you're gonna you're gonna recognize that all of this does matter in some way, even if it didn't come up during impeachment. It does matter to come up before the election. So, uh, Nikki, let's pick up where you left off. Right, uh, you're you're right. The the latest uh, New York Times Siena College poll out today shows Joe Biden up by fourteen. Fox News a couple of days ago had Biden up by 12. CNN has him up by 14. Uh, the Siena College poll also shows Joe Biden leading in by almost, not double digits, but eight, nine points in Michigan, Pennsylvania, Florida, Arizona, North Carolina, all of states that Trump won in 2016. Uh, 
I'm not going to say, uh, ask you if it's over, <laughs> Nikki, but, <laughs> it's not over, but, but. <laughs> but uh, what's the read on this and in, 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 the, in the Trump campaign? Are they worried at all? I, I, yes, I believe so. Um, but, you know, I will say what I, what I described as sort of like the glimmer of, of good, of good news for Trump uh, in this poll is that when you look at his approval rating on the economy, even though it's kind of in the crapper right now, he still gets a 56% and on that metric. So if he, in the next couple of months can somehow, you know, get the train back on the tracks as far as coronavirus, uh, you know, Rain, rain in the disease and look like he's put the economy, uh, you know, back on track, you know, he does have a, a good argument for re-election. It's just the question of whether he can do it and he's patient enough to do it. Because I think what we saw with, you know, the original round of, you know, lockdowns with the coronavirus is that, you know, Trump was uh, was not listening to his, you know, his, his health officials and was sort of pushing states to reopen more quickly. And you see that the states that didn't sort of follow those, uh, the gating guidelines that were put out by Dr. Fauci and, and Dr. Burks and others, mm -hmm. they're the ones that are having this, uh, this sort of resurgence, this outbreak again. So, you know, if Trump had just been patient and sort of let the, the guidelines and let the states work through those guidelines, I think we would be in a much better place uh, on handling this virus. And then secondly, the economy, even though it would have been, you know, sort of more slow to get back on track, it would have eventually gotten there. You look at like a state like Texas, when they're talking again about potentially having to, to shut things down. I mean, that's, that's not going to be great for, you know, this, this message of restarting the economy. So I think, you know, again, Trump can make an economic message uh, and potentially still turn this thing around, but he's going to have to be patient when it comes to, to, to dealing with the coronavirus. Yeah. So, Sudeep, those are a couple of great big ifs, right? If he can get the economy back on track and, and talk about that. Uh, and then if he can get on top of the coronavirus and talk about a success there. Um, from what we've seen so far, uh, is he likely to be able to make that pivot? Uh, the, the big ifs. Look, Trump is not going to change. We know that. Uh, the only hope he has is that circumstances around him change. And uh, if you were, we're four and a half months from the election, if you look back four and a half months uh, into um, early to mid February, things looked pretty good. So the entire world can change in that period of time. Uh, I'm, uh, I'm reminded of uh, the summer of 1988, I think it was a, a poll in July 1988, Michael Dukakis was up by 17 points oh, yeah. in yeah. a Gallup poll against uh, uh, then Vice President Bush. And so um, it's not all over. A lot could change. A lot could happen with Biden that creates doubts. But it, it's not a good picture. And everyone on the Trump campaign knows it's not a good picture in this moment um, because the economy, the economy, the economy. Right. So, Joe... You know, it wasn't that long ago that um, Democrats were pleading with Joe Biden to get out of the basement. When you look at these numbers, <laughs> maybe today they're saying, hey, Joe, stay in the basement, right? <laughs> stay where you are, hunker. Do not move. Don't. Just don't do any. And, and, and even the question, is it over, kind of reminds me of, of, you know, the thing that popped into my head was the line from Animal House. Was it over when the Germans bombed Pearl Harbor? No. And it's not over until the elect until electorate votes. And uh, to Sadiq's point, four months is not a lot of time and a lifetime when it comes to politics. Anything can happen. 
And the problem for, for Donald Trump, however, is that that anything includes the coronavirus and a crashing economy. So uh, presidencies are often defined and incumbent presidents are often defined by events that are beyond their control, right? I mean, these are, uh, these are events that he could not have foreseen. However, he could have reacted very differently to them. And basically the, the, the problem that he's facing is, his, is himself and the clock. Uh, we have seen that he is very consistent. We have seen that he's gotten bored with the coronavirus. The task force doesn't even meet anymore. The daily briefings kind of eased up even before the end of the first phase, which many people will argue we're still in the middle of the first phase. So there's a long road to hoe if those are the two factors that will get him back in the race. And if you're Joe Biden, you just keep waiting for Trump to, to step on his necktie and make these kinds of unforced errors that have him creeping up in the polls because people are so angry and so anxious and, and, and in such a state that he doesn't really have to have a anti-Trump message because Trump is more than willing to do that for himself. Yeah. You know, I was struck yesterday. Um, we talked all about the presidential. We also know that, um, uh, of course, all members of the House are up and also um, some, I think, 36 members of the Senate with Senate control uh, being very, very the, the fight for Senate control being very close. So given that, I was struck yesterday by something that John Thune from South, da South Dakota said. Now, he's the majority whip we know in the Senate, so number three in the leadership. And he said yesterday to The Hill, quote, I think right now, obviously, Trump has a problem with the middle of the electorate, with independence, and they're the people who are going to decide a national election. I think he can win those back, but it will probably require not only a message that deals with substance and policy, but I think a message that conveys a perhaps different tone. Hmm. Whoa, that's about as close as any leading Republican can come to saying, hey, Trump, you got to clean up your act here. Right, Nikki? Uh, yeah, you know, um, I was watching MSNBC last night and I believe Ezra Klein made this comment, but he basically said, you know, Trump is to the point where he's scaring people. Um, you know, before I think people, uh, especially kind of those uh, sort of independent voter types uh, that I see a lot of my home state of Pennsylvania who might like a Trump, might even like a Bernie Sanders. They like Trump because they were like, you know, he's going to go to Washington and he's going to like stir stuff up and it's going to be really interesting to see him, you know, drain the swamp. But now, whenever you've got a medical emergency uh, nationwide in this country, you know you don't want the guy that's going to like throw the grenade into the uh, into the you know the fire or whatever. Probably a bad mm -hmm. analogy, but you know you, you want you want the guy that's able to um, to to show you know sort of um, coherent leadership. And we've never seen that with Trump when it's come to the coronavirus. Uh, especially with this whole uh, politicization of like wearing masks and sort of doing sort of basic, uh, simple practices that could potentially really help these numbers come down with the virus. Uh, Sudeep, does this um, indicate uh, that Republicans are more con concerned that Trump might could drag them down? Oh, they're, in, in the Senate, I mean, yeah. They are absolutely starting to get terrified that Trump is going to drag them down. You look at some of the, the new polling uh, in in key states and Senate races, the, the latest uh, polling that we, we just saw today shows uh, Mark Kelly with a larger, uh, larger gain in Arizona 
uh, over uh, Martha McSally in Michigan, uh, the Democrat up by 10 percentage points in North Carolina by three percentage points all Mm -hmm. over the map. Uh, The Democrats are showing gains and uh, the Republicans in the Senate are recognizing that they're going to have to start splitting from Trump much, much, much more strongly if they want any chance of holding uh, the uh, of keeping the Senate, because there's no chance, of course, of winning the House back. Uh, and let's talk about some of the other reasons that we do. We're still waiting for, re- for returns or final results from several. But but Joe, one interesting one, um, Elliot Engel, long time House Democrat, uh, chair of the House Foreign Relations Committee, uh, looks like as lost to a young man by the name of Jamal Bowman, who was endorsed by Bernie Sanders, AOC, and Elizabeth Warren. Here is Mr. Bowman on election night. Elliot Engel, and I'll say his name once, used to say that he was a thorn in the side of Donald Trump. But you know what Donald Trump is more afraid of than anyone, anything else? A black man with power. That is what Donald Trump is afraid of. It will be our job to hold Donald Trump accountable and to hold every elected official accountable that continues to be beholden to corporate interests, that continues to be holding to the wealthy and is not fighting for the poor and is not fighting for the working class in our country. Joe, sounds like he's ready to come to Washington and shake it up, but a big win for progressives. Oh, yeah, uh, certainly. Uh, this goes against the recent record of, of Sanders and, and uh, or Cortez uh, in endorsements. Certainly the last uh, congressional cycle, they didn't do so hot. Uh, I think Bernie might have had maybe two or three candidates out of a couple dozen that he endorsed that actually made it to the to the general and made it to office. So this is a big, a, a big win, but it's clear to me at least that he's captured the moment. Uh, the moment is when we're talking about uh, Black Lives Matter and inequality and injustice and how uh, essential workers essentially make a dime on the dollar compared to us white collar types, yet they have to go out and face the virus every day. That message is resonating with people who are shocked, frankly, by some of the things that they've seen and some of the numbers and statistics that they've seen in headlines. So I think in addition to uh, uh, Elliot Engels uh, stepping on his own tie, talking about how the only reason why he was at a certain rally was because he had a primary challenge and that he really needed to speak and, and get his message out. Otherwise, he wouldn't, quote, wouldn't care. That's a really tone deaf thing to say. I mean, granted, he, he was on a hot mic, but certainly even having that mindset at this moment in history, it certainly would spell uh, in, in a lot of situations electoral defeat. And I think that's one of the things that John Thune was kind of getting at is that uh, Trump is missing the moment here. He, he is not, uh, even though he's a, a, a skilled politician, he doesn't seem to be a particularly adept one when it comes to taking advantage of the moment. He took a, He had a huge moment and a huge wave in 2016, but that has passed and he's got to stop playing the hits and come up with some new material if he wants to stay in office. Uh, so, Sudeep, another race, a uh, congressional race that got some attention was the Mark Meadows seat in North Carolina, where the president got behind uh, Linda Bennett, real estate agent down there, friend of friend of Mark Meadows, uh, and in fact, did a robocall for her against uh, a young 24 year old Madison Cawthorn. But here's the president pleading for Linda Bennett. Linda will help me fight crazy Nancy Pelosi and that radical socialist liberal group 
trying to destroy our country. Linda is strong on education, life, and our incredible veterans, and she will always protect your Second Amendment. So he played, (laughs) pushed all the buttons there, right, that he thought would uh, turn out his base. What happened? The worst possible thing for Donald Trump, he may be losing his touch. Um, This is is a weird uh, one in particular because um, the person Linda Bennett lost to was was uh, a very Trumpy figure, Madison Cawthorn, twenty four. Yeah. Uh, his official photos show him uh, toting the gun. Uh, yeah. He uh, was in a car accident, uh, partially paralyzed in a wheelchair, so he's got a, an incredible story himself. Uh, but this was was a seat uh, where Mark Meadows resigned uh, very late after he'd effect- effectively been working in the White House already. Resigned on the very last day, which some people thought was designed to make sure other uh, lawmakers in the, in the state didn't try to run for that seat. Uh, And, and so it was almost like it was set up to, for, for Linda Bennett. And uh, that's not how these things work anymore these days when, when voters are making their own independent judgments. Um, But Trump is of course uh, backtracking and saying uh, they made me do it. I like Madison Cawthorn, uh, and uh, I'm sure he will quickly align himself with the winner. Yeah, he he quickly called him the next morning, right, <laughs> to congrat to congratulate exactly. him. Exactly. Hey, finally, f- before we take a break, just on the political front. So, Nikki, I want to know: Have you bought your tickets yet for Jacksonville uh, or Milwaukee? And do you think we're going to have uh, two big conventions? I uh, booked myself an Airbnb with a pool in Jacksonville. Ooh, all right. <laughs> yeah, for my team, because I, I do all of our hotel bookings uh, just in case. But, you know, it's funny. We've kept our reservations for Charlotte as well, uh, because who knows? <laughs> we, we moved back to Charlotte, and we already had a big house there. Uh, and we still have, you know, some presence. Uh, we've got two places in Milwaukee, because um, we don't know. We're part of the, the Biden pool assignment. So we uh. might be in Milwaukee just to cover him, even if he's just like talking in a studio. So, I mean, it's, it's going to be, it's going to be crazy to see how they, they pull it off. But, you know, the Democrats came out yesterday and they said, you know, we're going to be different than the Republicans and basically tell our delegates to stay home and, you know, hang out virtually. And then Joe Biden will still travel to Milwaukee, but then they'll also be doing some satellite events in other cities, of course, in swing States uh, as part of the convention festivities in August. So It'll be interesting to see how it all is pulled together. Uh, and I thought it was interesting that uh, a poll I saw showed that a, a, a big majority of the people in Jacksonville, Florida, including Republicans, do not want the Republicans to come to Jacksonville for their convention because yeah. they're afraid of coronavirus. Uh, our roundtable here with Nikki Schwab and Sudeep Reddy and Joe Williams uh, will continue in just a moment. We'll take a, take a pause here for a quick break on the Bill Press Pod. And today's roundtable brought to you by the Laborers International Union of North America, or LIUNA. Uh, the Laborers headquarters, uh, right at the corner of 16th and I Street, right in the heart of Black Lives Matter Plaza. I walked by there yesterday, and I was very pleased to see, by my count, at least six Black Lives Matter signs on the front of the Laborers uh, headquarters building there on 16th Street, right where Mayor Muriel Bowser had Black Lives Matter painted on 16th Street. So for many reasons, we salute the uh, members of the Laborers Union under President Terry O'Sullivan, 
thank them for their great work rebuilding America and thank them for their support of the Bill Press Pod. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. We're back on today's roundtable with Nikki Schwab from the Daily Mail, uh, Sudeep Reddy, Politico, and Joe Williams, U.S. News and uh, World Report. Uh, Nikki, I want to come back to you because um, we've talked about uh, the, the coronavirus and we've seen the numbers. They're up in 30, 26 states. Uh, yesterday, we're now talking Thursday morning. Yesterday, Wednesday, was the highest ever one day of new cases for the coronavirus since this started early in March. So it certainly hasn't gone away. My uh, my question to to you and to uh, uh, to Joe and to Sudeep also is, what impact is the handling of the coronavirus going to have in 2020? Uh, is this in is November going to be a in large part a referendum on how Donald Trump has handled this virus? Yes, I think it is. Uh, also, because it's so tied into what's going on with the economy. Uh, because if we didn't have coronavirus, we wouldn't have sort of the massive unemployment numbers. Uh, that we do. But also just think about the fact that, you know, coronavirus was almost like a New York problem for many months. And now it's an Arizona problem. It's a Texas problem. It's a Florida problem. Those are states that that Trump, you know, needs to have in his column. Uh, and I thought it was striking how, you know, when he traveled to Arizona earlier this week, you know, he had an event indoors with 3000 people where they didn't wear masks. And when they were waiting in line outside, they were having these fans that were spraying on them and they're not wearing masks. 
I mean, if you think just if a couple of those kids get sick with COVID-19 or any of them terribly pass away, I mean, what what message are you going to sort of push out to the country? I mean, you're not going to feel safe if an event that the president attended and told people to come to, even if, you know, on the side, they're having people sign releases to go to these events. You know, you, you, you can't say that they weren't responsible for people getting sick if people do indeed get sick. So I think it could have massive political repercussions that he's already sort of started these huge events and no one else in the country is, is having these large scale gatherings, at least indoors. Uh, yeah. Sudeep, yesterday, the White House said earlier, Deborah Burks had said 200,000 dead from coronavirus by October 1. Yesterday, the White House said 180,000. Uh, I mean, can if it gets to that level, and it looks like there's no stopping it, uh, can Donald Trump really shrug and say, hey, ain't my fault, or, you know, I had nothing to do with it? Uh, he will certainly uh, keep trying uh, to do that. And th th those latest figures are also uh, in the IHME model, the closely tracked model um, that shows 180,000 deaths. But that model changes uh, as circumstances on the ground change and circumstances on the ground are changing very, very quickly. Uh, if you look back to February uh, and January during the uh, it will go away like a miracle, it will go away period of Donald Trump um, and all of his uh, doubting of what we were seeing back then. Um, he, he was doubting it and ignoring it until something happened. And that something was the stock market starting to plummet. And once the stock market, once his beloved stock market gains started disappearing, um, that's when he started paying attention um, a, a little bit more. And so we could see the same dynamic here, but we don't know what the outcome will be. How will Trump change his behavior when that happens? Um, beyond calling for more stimulus or, or beating up the Fed. The, one of the most striking uh, data points I saw in the past day was uh, some work by the Philadelphia Inquirer uh, journalist there who said found that over the past two weeks, uh, coronavirus cases have risen 84% in states that don't require wearing masks in public. In states where mask, wa mask wearing is mandatory, cases have fallen by 25%. So that is the difference. That is the cultural divide and the public health divide and the science divide that the president has set up. And that's what he's going to have to resolve now. So, Joe, if the president's response to the coronavirus is going to be one major factor, uh, I believe another major factor uh, in November 2020 is going to be how he has handled and how's he, how he has responded to the Black Lives Matter movement. Um, and we saw a little taste of that. Uh, Nikki mentioned this week, he went out to Phoenix. He met with all these young people uh, in a church. And one of the people, uh, one of the a young woman who was uh, selected to help introduce him, giving one of the introductory speeches, uh, made what has become a quite controversial uh, remarks about Aunt Jemima being canceled. Here she is. Aunt Jemima was canceled. And, and if you didn't know, Nancy Green, the original first Aunt Jemima, she was a picture of the American dream. She was a freed slave who went on to be the face of the pancake syrup that we love and, and have in our pantries today. Uh, this, is, this is Donald Trump's message in light of the Black Lives Matter movement, Joe. <sighs> <laughs> Uh, I, I, you know, I, there's so much there to unpack, and it's hard to know exactly where to start. 
First of all, uh, whatever she says is not true, right, about Andrew well, it's yeah. Not only is it not true, it's offensive. And to, to, to it's not even controversial, what she said. It's not controversial. It's just flat out wrong. I mean, this is one of the reasons why people have constantly felt like they've been beating their heads against the wall, trying to get this moment before the American public, because there's so much that people don't know, so much that they think they know, but they really don't. And just such a, a, a wash of misinformation out there about the plight of black America. And I think of all people, of all presidents, Donald Trump is perhaps arguably the least equipped to, to deliver a message, especially when this is coming from supporters of his and when supporters of his actually boo the fact that they think Aunt Jemima was canceled. First of all, what does that even mean? Secondly, it's a racist icon. I mean, what is the, what is the issue here? So I think with, with friends like that, Donald Trump and, 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 you know, Donald Trump probably doesn't really need to make a case to black America because black America has, has turned him off completely almost from day one. And even polls reflect it. Uh, there was a new poll out this morning that showed his support among African-Americans is at 9%, which, you know, I submit that that's probably on the high side. So I don't, I don't really know that he wants to make an attempt to, to uh, take political advantage of Black Lives Matter other than to use it as, as further dog whistling and uh, horn blowing for his supporters and further red meat for the people that he thinks are his hardcore base. I mean, he's running basically a primary election in a general campaign, playing to his base and hoping that's enough to get him by. So much to talk about here, and we're just about out of time. But before we get to your favorite stories of the week, I do want to ask you about a couple of other things quickly. Uh, and one is Bill Barr. Uh, the attorney general, uh, several things lately, firing the uh, U.S. attorney uh, from New York, uh, trying to get the Michael Flynn case uh, dropped, which it looks like uh, he's partially succeeded at. Uh, testimony yesterday about how the Justice Department went out of its way to get a, a, a more lenient sentence for uh, Trump buddy Roger Stone. Um, Don Ayer, former Justice Department official, testified in front of Congress saying, Basically, the bar has made the whole Justice Department just a political arm of the White House. I was privileged to serve in the Department of Justice under two Republican and one Democratic president, and I am here because I believe that William Barr poses the greatest threat in my lifetime to our rule of law and to public trust in it. That is because he does not believe in its core principle that no person is above the law. Instead, since taking office, he has worked to advance his lifelong conviction that the president should hold virtually autocratic powers. That includes immunity from nearly all checks and balances and being able to accord special treatment to himself and his friends. Whoa. Uh, is the impeachment wagon headed for uh, Bill Barr, Nikki? Uh, well, you know, you, you heard Nadler, uh, Jerry Nadler, the Judiciary Committee chairman who, this, uh, who chaired this committee, uh, say after this testimony yesterday that it was on the table. And Nadler's always been kind of slow to, to get there. Uh, he had like, you know, he's been trying to get Barr basically in front of his committee since Barr became attorney general and it hasn't happened yet. It's supposed to now happen in late July. Uh, but, you know, even then, like Nadler wouldn't subpoena him until like early this week. He said he might do it. So the fact that Nadler is saying that uh, gives me the sense that like there is a little bit of momentum in that direction. But I think, you know, it's it's an election year. Democrats have a lot of other stuff to worry about, including potentially another uh, big package to help with coronavirus stuff. So we'll, we'll see if there's actually any movement in that direction. Sadiq, the, the attorney general uh, has agreed to testify now in front of the House, I think July 28. 
um, expect really expect him to show up? Oh, uh, even if he does show up, which seems unlikely, if he does show up, then uh, he's not going to answer the question everyone wants to know on that panel is uh, what is Bill Barr hiding? Um, <laughs> why would this happen um, yeah. in, in the very late stages of a presidential term? Why would it happen in this way? Why uh, all the mystery around this? And what was so sudden and urgent that this person needed to be removed quickly from that post? You're and, talking about the U.S. attorney in the Southern District of New York, uh, Jeffrey Berman, right? We don't, exactly. We, we and, don't and know why he was fired. Nobody will say. Trump won't we, say and Barr won't say. We don't know. And we, we do know that uh, Jeff Berman had uh, responsibility for a lot of sensitive cases re re regarding Trump associates. And uh, the uh, head of SDNY is the person who, who often gets the goods on some of the most prominent figures in the country. And so you just have to wonder what uh, what was about to happen there and what could still happen. Um, that's the question everyone's asking on that panel. Well, we didn't even get to baseball yet, but you know what? We have a lot of time between now and uh, July 23rd when they say they're going to start the uh, a new baseball, abbreviated baseball season. Uh, we'll get to that, but thank you so much, Nikki Schwab and Sadiq Reddy and Joe Williams. We always ask you, there must have been some story of the week that caught your attention uh, that you'd like to to share with uh, with all of us. Nikki, you want to start us off? I've got a uh, very warm-hearted story. And also oh, good. the last time uh, I believe on the sh I was on the show, I also had something of a space-themed. So this is space-themed as well. <laughs> uh, but, but NASA has decided to name their headquarters after Mary W. Jackson, who was one of the women who was in Hidden oh. Figures, that oh, great yeah. movie about the... Um, uh, the black female uh, women of NASA we had never really heard about, but had done a ton to help the space program. And this is the woman who was played by Janelle Monet in the movie. Um, but it's now going to be the Mary W. Jackson NASA headquarters building. And the street that it's on has already been renamed, and this was a couple years back, Hidden Figures Way. So I thought that was nice and warm-hearted. And I know that uh, Janelle Monet was not actually sort of the main character that was uh, the... Katherine Johnson, but she actually already had a computer research facility named after her at Langley, the CIA mm. headquarters. So the, the different hidden figures are getting different things named after them. So, Well, I, that's a great story. And, and what a great movie and what a great uh, contribution that those women made. Uh, we, uh, we salute, salute them all. Uh, how about you, Sadiq? What caught your uh, attention? Unfortunately, mine is not uplifting, but uh, <laughs> we all know 2020 has been uh, quite miserable. And even beyond coronavirus, we've seen these stories about the, the threat of murder hornets attacking us, the, <laughs> the, the Saharan death plume that's arriving in the U.S. right now. Uh, there was a story that caught my attention yesterday. There's a blood-sucking vampire fish <laughs> spawning <laughs> in Vermont's coastal water. So wait, be sure Ver to Wait, Vermont? Uh, yeah, so be sure to just uh, Google that. A blood-sucking vampire fish, because the photos of this thing are horrific. It looks like something out of uh, a horror movie. Uh, but that actually brought me to an, a piece uh, that somebody shared from Science Magazine that's actually a couple years old, headlined, Why 536 Was the Worst Year to Be Alive. Uh, and in that year, it was a fog that plunged uh, much of the world into darkness for 18 uh, months, um, temperatures <laughs> fell, the coldest decade in the past 2,300 years, crops failed, people starved. 
And so if you're looking to be uplifted by 2020, <laughs> then just look up why 536 was the worst year to be alive. And you'll feel a little bit better since everything is relative. So it, it, it always could be worse, right? Could have been exactly. worse. Exactly. Uh, Joe, can you top that? That's going to be difficult. <laughs> Mine actually uh, was probably the best interview I've seen this week, which was on the Colbert show where he hosted mm. John Bolton. Yes. And it was interesting. They, Stephen Colbert is the definition of fearlessness when it comes to these sorts of things. I mean, you famously recall he did the White House Correspondents' Dinner where he said the Bush administration was soaring like the Hindenburg. Uh, this interview was actually, it, it was fascinating to see him go in on John Bolton in a way that us standard reporters really can't and practically make John Bolton's mustache twirl by asking him was he so naive to believe that he could make a difference in the in the Trump administration and why he did this after all. I mean, it, it really right. was a, a, an object lesson in journalism and something that everybody can can really, who, who is cynical about politics, can really kind of look at and say, okay, this is how it's done. Uh, amen, amen. And I'm sort of embarrassed by my favorite story today, I, I must admit, going into it. But uh, what struck my attention was the announcement by McDonald's that they are shutting down permanently their flagship store on, in Times Square on 42nd Street. And I must add, I am not a fan of McDonald's. I haven't been to inside of McDonald's for probably 25 years. But I used to broadcast from a studio right next to that McDonald's. <laughs> and to me, it was like the, the big theater, Broadway theaters, right? It was part of Times Square. It was just part of the scene. Uh, and the fact that it's not, it had 190 90 seats for a McDonald's, the fact that it's not going to be there to me just says, you know, when this coronavirus is over, there's going to be a lot of things different than they oh, were yeah. going into it. Um, Absolutely. Favorite restaurants are not going to be there anymore. Favorite, not like this is one of them, uh, favorite stores, favorite locations things we used to enjoy doing and would do without even thinking uh a lot's going to be a lot's going to change after coronavirus just a reminder of that i think so uh and with that thanks again to nikki schwab nikki how can people follow you and find you i'm at nikki schwab on twitter and i write at dailymail.com okay uh how about you sadeep uh it's at ready r-e-d-d-y on twitter easy enough joe uh, I am at Verb DC on uh, Twitter and at Joe Williams DC and also at US News, uh, Joe, J. Williams, USNews.com. All right. Thank you so much uh, for a great panel today. And thank you all for listening so much. We uh, really love having you with us. We ask you to do us one big favor if you haven't already done so, and that is to subscribe, subscribe, subscribe to the Bill Press Pod by going to wherever you're listening to this podcast. Uh, uh, pull up the, the Bill Press Pod, click on subscribe, you are in, and uh, encourage all of your friends to do the same. Also encourage you to follow me on Twitter, at Bill Press Pod, at Bill Press Pod. That's it for today. Have a great weekend, folks. We'll see you again on the next edition of the Bill Press Pod. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader.